Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to open us with a word of prayer, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the next couple of weeks, and then I'll jump in and I'll tell you also what I'm going to be teaching this morning. So, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this church, for this class, for the fellowship we have, for their ability to share prayer requests with one another, and also, Lord, for the time we have to open your word. So, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear this morning, that you'll impress upon us the truths of your word, and I pray that it will be a time that is pleasing and honoring to you. So, Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I am here today, and I'm going to read Second John, and I'm going to read the remainder of the verses. So, follow along with me. I begin reading in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to faith, face to face, so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Now, as I spent the last couple of weeks covering the beginning part of this, I explained that the reason this letter was sent is very similar to the reason that we're studying 2 Peter. Namely, there were false teachers trying to lead genuine believers away from the truth. And yet, as the Apostle John introduced the letter, we actually spent time over the first six verses looking at what genuine Christianity was characterized by. In other words, marks of genuine Christians. That's how he introduced the letter. But for the remainder of the chapter in these brief verses, and really it's focused on the first few verses of the second section, he's going to start, in essence, identifying those false teachers, not by name, but showing you characteristics of what a counterfeit looks like. Someone who claims to be a Christian, but is not, will be characterized by certain things, particularly if they have a teaching or a leadership role, but this application goes beyond that. And it's interesting, because he was writing to believers, Theoretically, those who already should know better, and yet he knew they were susceptible to being deceived. When I first taught this years ago, I remember looking up an article about a pastor who basically had been a crook and he had finagled countless churches out of millions of dollars. In fact, he had been a con man before he put on the hat of pastor and he wasn't nearly as successful. Now, he's probably still in prison where he belongs, but he found in Christians a fleeceable flock, so to speak. Gullible people. And I get it. We want to believe the best of people. We want to give people the benefit of the doubt. People come to us and they're broken and they've been through hardships and All they have to do is say the right words and we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. 
And yet this is still going on today. Read an article about a pastor in Michigan. This was only within the last year or two. And they opened up a financial business and they went around to churches doing seminars. As you imagine at Lakeside, there's a lot of people that are either retiring or close to retirement. So they would do seminars in churches to give financial advice. And according to what I was reading, what they would do is they would fill out questionnaires, which don't seem suspicious. Okay, we're, we're trying to give you good advice. Tell us what your assets are. Then they filtered through the applications and the people with the most money got follow-up attention. Next thing you know, there were 140 victims and $9.3 million pocketed by a pastor who was given a platform because churches opened their doors and said, sure, come. All of those types of things are about money. But it's that type of mindset that the apostle is warning about. This gullibility, except he places it in an even more dangerous issue than just somebody will steal your money. He says these people are trying to steal souls. They're trying to block people from the kingdom. We can't lose our salvation, but they're trying to pull you away anyway. That's the warning. John warned about this in 1 John. 1 John 2, 18 and 19. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. And from the context, it seems that the apostle was talking about teachers. Certainly that could apply to any unbeliever, but he was talking about those who showed themselves to be something other than faithful. So the Apostle John took seriously the need to give this type of warning. And as I've said over and over, and I thought about once I start talking about things, it probably sounds like a repeating record because I keep harping on the dangers that can well up within the church. Except if the Bible keeps talking about it, well then I'm in good company to keep talking about the same thing over and over so this morning, as we go through the remainder of this chapter, and we're only going to begin it, and then I'll finish it on the 27th, we're going to be looking, using the same outline as before. Before, in essence, I was showing you four marks of a genuine Christian, four marks of a genuine believer. Now we're going to be looking at four marks of a counterfeit Christian. Four marks of counterfeit Christians. And the first is this. They deny the person of Christ. They deny the person of Christ. Verse 7 says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now there is an aspect of this that it had a unique application to some theological undercurrents that were going on at the time this letter was written, but the application is very relevant for us today because it's a little broader but notice what he says, many deceivers. In other words, this isn't an individual. It would be easy if all you had to do was say, hey, there's this guy, this is his name, avoid him. And occasionally we do name names and say stay away from somebody. But the number of deceivers far exceeds our ability to keep count. 
I would never do it because it's not necessarily profitable. But if you started today to look on the internet and you just decided, I'm going to identify all the false teachers I can find who are posting on YouTube or posting something on all the various social media, and you could live, I'm just speculating, if you could live to a million, you wouldn't catch everybody. Because there's so many people spreading so many lies. They had to be vigilant because there were so many of them, but they also had to understand that this is not someone who innocently was wrong. By using the term deceivers, the apostle makes it clear that these individuals were purposeful in what they were teaching. It carries the idea from the way the word is in its root form of someone who's intentionally trying to lead people away from the truth. There's a body of truth revealed in Scripture. These deceivers are intentionally trying to get people to doubt and turn away from this and follow something else. That's the original lie of Satan. Did God really say? The playbook of Satan is very simple because it's the same thing over and over and over again. Doubt God. Doubt God. Doubt God. So these aren't people who are trying their very best to make a mistake. Even good teachers make mistakes. That's why you can read commentaries on a particular passage and you'll find, wait, this person is good and this person is good and they come to a different conclusion. Those aren't deceivers. Those are just people who are trying their best and they come to different conclusions. John is warning about something else. They are intentionally trying to lead people astray. He uses the phraseology, they've gone out into the world. And it suggests the idea that perhaps some of them started in one church and they're spreading their error. Maybe they started in one place, but now they're taking it elsewhere, trying to get a following. I just read from 1 John where they went out from us. It's probably a similar idea here. Generally, if you find a false teacher claiming to be a pastor, they started somewhere. Sometimes they started in a good church with good teaching and then went astray. It's interesting to me because when I was in seminary, I would say my seminary was as good as there was. I loved the master seminary. I had wonderful teachers that were vetted, that were good, that were conservative. And I was very thankful to be able to learn from men who weren't just intelligent, but they believed the Word of God. And they taught it that way. And yet, I could tell you from when I started seminary up to now, over and over again, men who had the same education have fallen away. I'll never forget, there was a particular pastor. He was actually brought back by a professor because he was pastoring a church and he was brought back by a professor in our counseling class to talk about the values of certain things and that man ultimately renounced the faith. And he's not the only one. The point is, sometimes people start in a good environment and you got to be careful. That's a good way to start. Lots of people have come to Lakeside because they went to the website, for example, of the Master Seminary and they looked for people and they saw Spencer and they saw me and they thought, well, at least that's a starting point. And it is a starting point, but it's not the ending point. We've got to be careful who we listen to. And again, in this case, we do well to remember that people that are denying Christ, which is what we're going to talk about in just a moment, don't always sound 
like hateful, wicked people. I've read it before, I'll read it again. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen to 15 For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose ends will be according to their deeds. So again, that doesn't mean that everyone will look like they're in error. A lot of people with lots of degrees can do this. But at its core, John is going to focus in on what is a key issue. He says, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. In other words, they have a specific attack on Jesus. They try and paint Jesus as something other than what is revealed in Scripture. Scripture makes many claims about Jesus and clearly from teaching Jesus is God. But also as clearly Scripture teaches that Jesus is fully man. Now I won't read these because we have a compressed time schedule today. But Jesus over and over affirmed his own equality with God. You can just write down these verse references. For example in John chapter 10 verses 27 to 30. Parts of it are familiar. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. But in verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Something similar in John chapter 14, verses 6 to 11. Again, I won't read it all, but it's famously, Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he ends it, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So Jesus himself over and over taught his deity. John 1.1 teaches it clearly. The Apostle John writing that, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 says something similar. So that ends there. But John 1.14 makes it clear that Jesus is fully man. He became flesh. Matthew 1.24 and 25 makes it clear that Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary. Luke 2, 40 and 43, Jesus had a real childhood. John 6, 42, Jesus had a human family and people knew who his dad was and who his mom was. And certainly he had the full range of human emotions He experienced hunger. He experienced tiredness. And when he was beaten and crucified, he felt the pain very real in his physical body. So, all of those things together, Jesus was fully God and fully man, but there was a teaching that was in circulation, and whether it was in its full form or not, many people over the course of history have taught a heresy that said, well, Jesus was actually God. He wasn't really man. He looked like a man. He wasn't a man. He looked like something. He wasn't something. That's what John is referring to in its specific form, in its narrowest form. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. In other words, there was a very specific heresy that was trying to deny that Jesus was fully man. And if you can deny that Jesus was fully man then you can deny the gospel. 
Because you would say he didn't actually, as a man, die a substitutionary death if he didn't have a real body and if he didn't really suffer. But the reality is, Jesus did come as a man because that's a mark of who he is and that's a mark of what makes him a capable mediator between sinful man and holy God. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says this, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. So again, these were critical truths because people were trying to deny Jesus as presented in scriptures. John himself said this very thing in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 to 3, John gives this warning, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, John was dealing in his first letter with the same thing that he's dealing in with this letter. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. So what John is really addressing, and that's not all he was addressing in 1 John, but that was an aspect of his teaching of 1 John. What he is saying is that there are intentional deceivers that are telling you lies about Jesus even as they profess to follow Jesus. Again, Satan has always made his lies close to the truth. They're close. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree? Well, there was a tree, and God did say don't eat. Close enough to mix it up. I remember as a kid, and I wasn't even saved yet, I remember seemed like it was junior high that we would study Greek mythology or Roman, you know, they'd mix them together and you get confused on which gods are whose. But it's what you studied in school. I don't know if they still study that, but I remember thinking at the time, you know, if I was trying to make people not believe Jesus, I'd create false religions like this, where gods are coming down and mating with women. In other words, you can see the hand of Satan throughout human history sowing lies. And that continues to this day. While people may not say the specific thing that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, they'll say something wrong about Jesus. They'll deny what the scriptures say about him and you've got to run from that kind of teaching. It's interesting because I was studying yesterday and I looked up because I knew of these types of things. But... It's not hard to find those who teach these things. And there is a, the former now, he retired, but there was a bishop of one of the major denominations of Protestantism in America. Not some casual person, not some person that just made up a YouTube channel and called themselves an expert. This is somebody who studied, who's learned, who was elevated all through the ranks of this particular denomination to the level of bishop. A position of stature, theoretically a position of spiritual maturity. And this is what this person said, not a hundred years ago, but in the last decade. The theological myth of the virgin birth, you could stop right there. Theological myth? 
that's what God said. The theological myth of the virgin birth points to this wondrous mystery and ultimate truth. To treat this myth as a historic fact is to do an injustice to its intended purpose and to run the risk of idolatry itself. Thus, if the virgin birth did not occur in a historical sense, if Jesus was born to human parents, as I affirm he was, and if Jesus did not possess supernatural powers, as I do not believe he did, what sense can we make of, this, of the miraculous stories about him in the gospel accounts? In other words, this person chops the knees out from under who Jesus really was. Well, he wasn't born of a virgin. No, he wasn't really God. No, he wasn't really supernatural. You follow that. He wouldn't have healed the sick. He wouldn't have walked on water. He wouldn't have multiplied loaves and fishes. In other words, he eviscerates everything Scripture says about Jesus because he wants to help educate you of what the point of the story really is. I read about a famous pastor in the Atlanta area that was saying, really, the virgin birth isn't that important. Yeah, if you don't believe it, no big deal. Well, it is a big deal to believe that Jesus is who the Scriptures say He is. Another pastor of some fame was invited to speak at a church. And part of his message was, quote, God as a personal being with expanded supernatural human and potential qualities and parental qualities does not work for 21st century Christians. And the idea of Jesus as the incarnation of God is bankrupt. Again, a pastor invited to speak at another church to educate the Christians. This is the type of thing that still goes on, and this is the exact type of thing John was worrying about. He refers to people who are distorting and denying Jesus as presented in scriptures as the deceiver and the antichrist. Again, these are not people who are mistaken. These are people who have intentionally considered the claims of scripture about Jesus and said, I don't believe it. And their goal is that you not believe it. And that they convince you that what you think you know, you don't know. This is the work of Satan. It's the work of demonic forces. And we always have to have in mind ourselves the warning of 1 Timothy 4.1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That's exactly what our text is warning us about. And we have to remember, and I, I said it last week in a different context, I'll say it this week, I'll, I will always say it, Satan is good at what he does. Jesus gave this warning in Mark chapter 13, Mark 13, 21 to 23. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, behold, I've told you everything in advance. So we've been warned, we've been cautioned. Over and over, we have to be on the alert. We need to be like the Bereans. Don't accept everything you hear. Every believer is filled, indwelt by the Spirit of God. One of the Spirit's roles is to illuminate the Word of God. If you hear someone teaching something clearly contrary to Scripture about Jesus, run away from it. 
regardless of where they're from, regardless of who they've associated with, regardless of what churches they attend. It's the mark of a counterfeit Christians. And I'll at least start the next point. I've only got a few minutes. But the second mark of counterfeit Christians is this. They target the followers of Christ. They target the followers of Christ. John says this in verse 8. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. I say it over and over again, but the danger isn't out there. The elections didn't go the way I wanted everywhere in America. That's not the danger. The danger to believers is within the church. He says, watch yourselves. And the way it's phrased, this is a lifelong responsibility. This isn't as a moment of, look out, there's a car coming. No, this is the rest of your life. Whether you live another two minutes or whether you live another two decades, always do this. It's a lifelong duty. It's great comfort that if you genuinely are saved, you can't be snatched away from God. John 10, 27 and 29, I've gone back to many times, they encourage me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. In a topsy-turvy world that's yanking us in a thousand different directions, nothing could be more comforting than the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise Him for that. But think of it this way. Satan was so arrogant and so confident that he tried to tempt the Word of God, Jesus Himself, with the Word of God. Compared to Jesus, we're easy marks. We're much easier targets. So even though we go to a good church with good pastors, with good teaching, we still have to be on the alert. And our security in Christ isn't any reason for us, there's no justification for us to let our guards down. I was just talking to somebody this morning on a totally different topic and, and there's an aspect of my practice as a lawyer that makes me a little more cynical than I would ever like to be. Love hopes all things and believes all things. That's what scripture says. But my heart is to doubt all things and not trust anybody. And that's not good. <laughs> but because I distrust everybody and I always expect the worst, I'm not very gullible. That's not commendable. It just is. But over and over, I've seen Christians in all the churches I've been a part of that are easily led astray. Why? Because they're relaxed they're comfortable and they don't think there's a danger. I can assure you, you will hear truth from Pastor Steve and you did hear truth this morning and you'll hear truth if you come back tonight. But you can listen to somebody else that wears a suit like his, that stands behind a pulpit like his, that will lead you astray this afternoon if you just go fishing for sermons without any discernment. You need to study doctrine for yourself. You need to study the Word of God for yourself. That's one of the dangers of Lakeside is that we can grow complacent and just think, you know what, I learn enough just sitting here. But you sit here a small portion of the week and you're bombarded, unless you live in a closet, throughout the week with messages and information and visual reminders 
of things that aren't true. You've got to be on guard. You've got to watch yourselves. There are certain verses that almost get overused, except that it's not possible to overuse a verse. But I absolutely love Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 12. The Apostle Paul and Silas were the preachers involved. Verse 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So they're running from trouble, wisely so, and they go and they start teaching. Verse 11, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. Praise the Lord for that. It's the next clause that is the issue. Examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. In other words, they were excited and they were learning, but they didn't take it just because it was the Apostle Paul speaking. They were looking in the scriptures. They were digging into the promises of God to find out, is this man or these men telling us what accords with God's word? That's what we have to do. We're going to get to it in 2 Peter. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It's the constant warning of Scripture is that false teachers can pop up anywhere, including in the churches, And that's who they're targeting. That's who they're going after. That's why he says, watch yourselves. He doesn't say, warn all your unbelieving family of these bad teachers. He says, watch yourselves. And I'll read it and introduce it, and I'll try and remember that I was here in two weeks. If I'm not in a food coma from the cruise, and you'll have to help me and remind me where I was. But he says that you do not lose what we have accomplished but that you may receive a full reward. And we'll dive into it, but basically he's saying is this. You can't lose your salvation. But the Bible clearly teaches that if you're faithful, if you're building on a solid foundation, not with hay and stubble, but a solid foundation, there comes a point where God will reward you. We don't know the details of that. Heaven is reward enough. But there's an aspect where the scripture teaches that each will receive his own reward. And what John is saying is, look, I don't want you to go off the rails and squander your Christian walk and lose what you would have had coming if you had stayed in our teaching. So we'll stop at that point for now. And let me just encourage you. Study the Word of God yourself. Keep digging in. Don't stop. Whether you're in your 20s or whether you're in your 80s, keep digging. Keep pressing forward. And always examine what people are teaching you according to the Scriptures. That bishop spouting nonsense about myths of the virgin birth, anyone with a Bible could say, that's a lie. And yet this man rose to the level of bishops because people weren't looking at the Word of God. 
As an aside, that man was actually brought up on a heresy trial and he was acquitted because there's room for different views in that particular denomination. Don't let that be us. Don't ever settle for that. If you hear somebody teaching something about Jesus that doesn't align with Scripture, run. And understand the audience isn't the secular world. They don't believe anyway. The target is us. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you for the family of God that you've assembled at Lakeside. Lord, I'm so blessed that my family gets to worship here, that we get to be around brothers and sisters in Christ, that this is our family, and we thank you for that, Lord. But Satan will never stop. He'll never say, well, that church is solid. I've got to run away from them. If anything, Lord, he'll look for churches like ours to target because we are trying to stand for the truth. So I pray that you'll protect us. Protect the elders of Lakeside. Help us remain unified. Help us remain grounded in Scripture. But Lord, help all the people of Lakeside to be Bereans. Not even accepting what Pastor Steve or myself or Bruce or Jack or any of the other elders says without looking to see in the scriptures, if those things are so. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all. I will see you, Lord willing, in two weeks.